0: i'm so excited to go through today's passage um i'm i'm honestly i've been obsessed with first kings 19. you could ask my wife yesterday i kept uh you know saturdays i try to have my sermon done by then obviously right because that's what Normal adults would do but I usually don't and so I'm always like trying to tweak it because this passage It really does mean so much to me. It's helped me and uh, really really uh, Times of sorrow times of depression and I just really want that to communicate today I really want it to be an encouragement to you um, and I think it's going to be good We're going to talk about depression. In fact, we're gonna look at the life of Elisha If you're just jumping in we're doing a series called messy miracles because the reality is the way God works He loves to show up in miracles but it's never clean. It's always messy. There's always something messy before in the middle of it and after it's never quite perfect and tidy like we'd expect. And it's really actually helpful for us to kind of have that expectation. You know, all of us want a resurrection, but you have to die in order to be resurrected. Amen. And so uh, that's kind of how God works in his miracles with Elijah. He, he's super depressed now for me and and making sermon series I never wanted to be that guy that I feel like it's clickbait like hey come and we're gonna talk about depression uh, And and I never wanted to be that guy I love just when the Bible just brings it up and we're gonna look at that today uh, But but I've always kind of been discouraged the way uh, Typical I don't want to act like I'm way better than everybody else even though my wife thinks so But you know like I, I I've heard so many pa- sermons where it's just like the only thing they say is don't be depressed because God loves you That's right. I mean, amen. I mean, that really is the biggest reason. But for me, it's like, that's not enough. Anybody with me? You know, it kind of feels shallow, kind of feels hollow. It's like, okay, got it. But that doesn't really help me when I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm super discouraged. Like, I I don't know. That's just kind of how I am. And so I, I really fear kind of doing these types of messages because it just seems kind of hollow. What I love about 1 Kings 19, we're going to learn that God doesn't see depression as an easy answer. We're going to see in First Kings chapter 19, it's not just this, oh, just get over it. Uh, I actually find so much encouragement in it. For me, it's the hardest time. Pray for my wife. Someone said, you talk about your wife every week. I'm like, yeah, because I love her, right? And so, uh, but my wife, pray for her because she has this terrible task. Because for me, I'm very passionate. And so I'm either super happy, excited about life, or I'm not. And, and so for my wife, she has to encourage me constantly. But here's my rule for my wife. She can never give me the same encouragement twice anybody else with me it's like you've said that before i don't believe it anymore this you're just rehearsing something i'm like the girl in the relationship i'm like no you need to take care of me talk about my you know and so it's like i've heard that before i was like i finished her sentence give me something new because i need a new encouragement and and for me i really found this passage to be helpful because i want evidence i don't want just those fluffy statements and i think that the bible here god does a good job with that And i think this passage nails it I'm excited for us to go through it. Let me set up the context as we're looking into this passage. Last week we had a really great week, 1 Kings chapter 18, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. If you weren't here, it's simply Elisha called down fire from heaven at Mount Carmel, and it ends by killing 850 prophets, and he's killing it, literally, like he is just on top of the world. And I didn't tell you guys this last week, I'm so mad I forgot, but what's so cool is you see, what do they chant after uh, the fire comes down? They recognize, they say, the Lord is God, right? The Lord is God. Here's what's so cool. The Hebrew word to say the Lord is God. You ready? Elijah. They were literally chanting Elisha's name. You ever heard that before? How cool is that? so he has this epic moment where they're literally chanting his name but it wasn't for him but it sounds like it's for him right and he's super excited because the lord is god god showed up in a mighty way so so here what we're going to look in chapter 19 there's three places that are important first of all is carmel the mountaintop experience what's really cool about this passage each place kind of is a good poetic picture of Elisha's perspective so he's in carmel he has this mountaintop experience with god where god showed up in a mighty way and his perspective is that god is powerful but pretty quick, actually verse 46, let's read verse 46 of chapter 18. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I always read it before a football game. It didn't work, but it says, the power of the Lord was on Elisha and he tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab was on a horse. He was on a chariot, but uh, Elisha outran him like by the way, super excited. Incredibles 2 just saw a preview of it last night. It's coming out this summer. He was like, dash bro. He was like, okay, putting it, let me just put this mantle under the belt. And he took off and beat Ahab to the Capitol. And that's the second place to set up the context for this passage. He goes to the Capitol. Now what's interesting is the Capitol really does show us a picture of Elisha's perspective in the moment. Why would Elisha go to the Capitol? At this moment, Elisha is trying to capitalize. You see what I did there? Capitalized on the moment and he's thinking, okay, I've won. God, clearly the worship of Bel is over and I'm gonna be lifted up high. He sees this as a moment to, to see God's provision, but now he sees it as an opportunity for him to step into this powerful position and be heralded as the one who brought God back. But then we're going to see quickly, jezebel because that girl don't care what you've ever done she says no i'm still gonna kill you i'm gonna cut your throat and so now he gets super depressed and runs to the last place a cave a cave representing so metaphorical right a cave is full of shadows and echoes and it's you're in isolation and alone and you start to picture things that are happening even though not really happening and elisha goes all the way to a cave is completely depressed can you imagine this? And this is actually how depression usually starts. It's something amazing. You expect your life to go even better, but really it takes a turn for the worse. Looking at this passage, the commentators, most people say there's no way that First Kings 19 happened after 18. And me and my Queen Creek math says no, but... 19 is after 18, right? So it makes complete sense to me, right? But, but actually a lot of commentators don't believe this because it really doesn't make sense, right? God showed up in a mighty way. How is Elisha already wanting to quit life right after this amazing moment? But I think a lot of us, anytime we've had something great happen in our life, right? Usually we tail into depression and that's what he's looking at. So here's the narrative that I think that we push. It's really hard for us to believe that Elisha went from being this great man of God who was used by God to do something incredible to wanting to quit life altogether. And I think here's the narrative we push. Once you've done something great for God, God will always take great care of you. Now, that's not wrong, right? but the way we define it is wrong because we'll see god actually really cares about elisha so he allows the cave to happen but for us we think and i think so much of our depression is rooted in the fact that we think okay god i've done all this for you now you need to take care of me and we find god doesn't usually do what we want check this out let me just read 19 verse 1. he said ahab told jezebel so ahab's the king told jezebel his wife which again never name anybody you know jezebel it's just not a good thing everything that if you're Jezebel this morning I'm so sorry I love you I'm so thankful you're here moving on Uh, just change your name that's it okay Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elisha saying may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow gives him an ultimatum. This is a pretty good, pretty good movie. You have 24 hours. In 24 hours, I'm going to kill you. And what's amazing to me is Elisha, even though he just won the victory, he is terrified by this threat. Look at verse three. Then Elisha became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. Now this is so important. I actually learned that this week. When you leave a prophet, it's kind of like a Uh, Some prophet always had a caddy prophet had a servant. This was a part of the job You had somebody that walked along with you. And, And so the prophet in order people would notice this was the actual job position You were a prophet and part of how you knew is because your caddy your servant was walking behind what Elisha was doing He was leaving his servant by him leaving his servant. He was saying I'm leaving the service. I'm done. I Don't want to be a prophet anymore. I don't want to do anything for God anymore. Isn't this interesting? He just had an epic moment at Mount Carmel and now he said I want to quit life entirely but I love the fact in James, it says that Elisha is what a man just like we are. It doesn't take much to discourage us. And I'm so excited to see how God deals with this. But look at verse four. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Elisha had this moment of wanting to commit suicide and he was done. And I think it's gonna be really helpful for us. For the rest of our time, we're gonna look at two things. One, what is the cause of depression? And and this is interesting. I think for us, it's easy for us to think, okay, non believers are depressed. But guys, Christians, not just Christians, prophets, pastors, God, people that God have used, you can become depressed. And I think that's something that the Christian world kind of thinks, well, if you're at a spiritual maturity level, you'll never get depressed. This is so encouraging for me as I read this. I'm not as mature as Elijah. I have room. I don't want it like as an excuse, but I can be depressed. And that doesn't mean I'm evil. That just means some things have happened in my life, but God takes care of us. So we're going to look at what's the cause of depression. And I think it's Elijah's perspective more than it's God's provision. And the second thing, what is the cure for depression? And then we'll be good. And we'll listen to Harry Luge. All right. So number one, what is the cause of depression? Here's the way, put it in your notes. Here's the biggest cause of depression for Elisha. Staying in a posture of gain will keep you in the prison of pain. This was Elisha's problem. Elisha had this mentality, okay, God showed up, but God is gonna show up in a way to where now it's time for me to gain status. It's time for me to move ahead. Let me prove it. Chapter 19, verse 10. Sorry, this is a real heavy sermon, but whatever. Okay. He said, uh, God asked him, what are you doing here, Elisha? Which I love when God asks those questions. Like, what are you doing? Like he knows, you know what I'm saying? It's like when my wife asks what I'm doing. She knows, you know what I'm saying? But they're all knowing. But anyway, verse 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies. Underline that. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left. That's the second part. And they're looking for me to take my life. Here's what it is. Elisha's in this posture of gain where he's making it all about himself. And here's two problems he has. And I think in the process of us getting discouraged, I think one of the main reasons is because we struggle with these two things. The first thing, look at the phrase. I have been what? Very zealous. So many of us in the process of getting depressed. Here's the first thing that happens. Elisha is over optimistic about his own abilities. Elisha thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. Elisha says, look, I have done everything perfect, but yet nobody else is perfect. He becomes demanding. He's saying, I, I need to be recognized. And that's why he ran to the capital." You guys see that? Here's his disposition. He thinks, look, I am so good. I need to gain something from you because I've earned it. Are you with me? I hate it, man. I I was the one. I was so dumb. I did the lights today. I did it way too dark. Just blame me, okay? So I can't see your faces. So all I, you can sleep today. I don't see it. I got nothing. Okay, but anyways, so I need to hear something. Sneezing, anything will be great. Okay, so what we have here, Elisha says, I've been zealous. I've been perfect. I'm all that in a bag of chips. And, but what's really interesting, it don't, aren't we in a culture that we say, make much of yourself. You need to think that you're all that. You need to think that you're amazing. But yet we wonder why we're in a culture that is so depressed. There's a correlation there. is saying, I have done everything right. I am deserving of everything that comes my way. But he's saying, but it's not coming my way. So that's the first thing, over-optimistic. And I think, guys, we're really good at that, right? Over-optimistic about our own talents. I don't need no GPS. I know exactly where I'm going. Five-hour delay, whatever. You know what I'm saying? We're over-optimistic. But here's the second dimension that we have of Elisha. So in one sense, over-optimistic demands to be recognized. The second part, we say what? He says at the end, and I am the only prophet left. So in the other sense, Elisha is too pessimistic about other people's abilities. Spoiler alert, we're going to look at the very end. God says, look, I not only have a few, I have 7,000 people in Israel who still have not bowed down to the idol of Baal. Baal, sorry. Which, by the way, I loved. Uh, David gave me something uh, Should I say it, David? No, he's talking about the the fire. He goes, was it a fireball, bell ball? I liked it. Anyways, moving on. Shouldn't have brought that up. But anyway, so so here's what he's saying. Look, first of all, I'm all that a bag of chips, so I deserve to be worshiped. That's the first step to depression. The second step to depression is we're too pessimistic about everybody else. Everybody else around me is terrible. Nobody brings me value. Nobody can help me. And this combination of I am so great and everyone else around me is not great enough leads to depression. And for Elisha's Point, he actually leads him to suicide you guys see that this is a very scary thing and what's so what i get so discouraged about our culture is that we propagate this message don't forget everybody else and it's about you follow your own dreams and you will be good enough and you just need to feel better by reading motivational instagram posts about how amazing and special you are and everything will be great Elisha's bought, sold. He loves that message, but it led him to suicide friends I think that's why we have such a problem in our culture. I'm like that old man now It's like this city Like all these people are t- I, I never wanted to be that guy, but that's where I am right now. It's so sad Okay, we need to hear this more than ever. Here, listen to this as Christians. We can o- we're the only people who can do this look as Long as when we serve people it's only intended to gain something from them We will always be in pain from them Listen, as long as when we serve and love people, but we do it because we're trying to gain something Elisha Why did he bring down fire from heaven? Why did he have this moment? We learned he ran to the capital because he wanted to be all that He was honestly only allowing God. He was a god still using all the stuff I can get deeper into that, but he saw this as an opportunity to gain Rather than to continue to give Do you guys see that the moment we start to think okay, this is my moment to shine Oh, man, this is going to be so cheesy. But it then becomes an opportunity where you whine. Okay, I, I told myself not to do that, but I literally rhyme in my head all the time. It's so bad. Alliterate, it's great, oh, uh, whatever. But I heard one amen, so I'm going to keep doing that stuff. Okay. Any of you have those friends, though, where literally anytime they're around, you're thinking, okay, they want something from me? Anybody? I don't want to mention them because they're in the room. I'm just kidding. No, but like it's just this constant, like, hey, and they're like super nice to you, and it's like, bro, I, I used to be rich, but now I'm broke because I... What are you you trying to do here? You know what I'm saying? And so uh, we have that consistently. I have that in my life uh, for different things, like videos. They're like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm like, you want a video, don't you? Just ask me straight up. Anyways, as Christians, we need to be doing that, right? We need to say, no, 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 I'm here to love you, to love you. But so much depression and so much, because look, when we're trying to gain from somebody, either they won't be good enough, you know what I'm saying? Or they'll do such a good job. Now you feel like you owe them and you're indebted to them. And it's just this craziness. So you don't actually have this joy of this entering into this relationship and again i think we live in a culture that propagates that we deserve to gain from everybody When we wonder why we're so depressed here's the truth that i've been preaching to my heart lately and i want to encourage you with this true assistance genuine assisting of others never needs appreciation you got that true assistance never demands appreciation i was at the southern baptist convention we're part of a sbc network and so I was over at uh, in Tucson just uh, was that yesterday two days ago and uh, which was so sad is because it's kind of this whole like pastors are just kids you know what I'm saying we all just want to be recognized in life and so it's this book everybody gets a book and it's like okay who had the top baptisms who had the top giving who has the top attendance and they all walk around and you can tell you literally can tell if somebody's like this they're on the list they're doing good you know what I'm saying if someone's like this they're not on the list and it becomes this game which by the way us passion creek we're on the top 25 of of all arizona so Baptist church for baptism so praise jesus for that So us walking around no i'm just kidding no so but it's really cool but anyways it was so sad to see this game of okay i'm doing these things now i need to be appreciated that's not genuine and it leads to so much depression pastors they say are actually some of the most depressed people and my grandfather has said it's because of all the deacons but anyways moving on that's a pretty good joke um But look, the posture of gain, looking at everything in life as trying to gain something brings the greatest amount of pain. That's true in marriage. That's true in business relationships. That's true in everything. If we come from this posture of, I need to get something from you, it's gonna lead to all sorts of pain, but I need to keep moving on. But look, we serve as Christians, guys. We serve in order to give, amen? Not in order to gain. Because spoiler alert, I have everything I need in Christ. There's nothing I need from you except maybe free food, but besides that, you know, what I'm saying it's awesome thing. Okay. We need not be demanding of others. As long as it's always about how great you are and how terrible everybody else is around you, you will never leave the prison of pain ever get new friends. Some people are cool out there, but okay, here's the overreaction to this. And I've heard Christians say this. Okay, great. That's awesome. So here, here's what people say. It's not about you at all. Get over yourself. This is how people, they take that message. Yeah. Don't make a big deal about yourself quit making it about you forget yourself you're a piece of trash everybody else is better than you and move forward that is also not the answer and i love i love okay now we're entering the cure for depression this is how god does it we learn so much about the love of god and how he cares for us in this passage because look we have groups of people who do a disservice i don't believe depression is simple would you agree it's not a quick answer so so for some people i think scientists biologists they say depression is simple just take care of it with what a pill right you have the moralist the spiritual person that says no no no. the reason you're depressed is because you're a sinner you need to repent of something there must be some sin in your life That is it that you're holding out on and not actually bringing it to the Lord. So that's why you're sick. That's why this is happening. That's why that's happening. The psychiatrist says, no, the reason you're depressed is because you haven't talked out your feelings. So let's sit together. I'm going to ask you a million questions about how do you feel about that, right? But what's so discouraging is you look at the different portions of our culture and none of us want to step into the other. The spiritualist never says pills are okay. And the pill guy says, never talking it out is okay. But I love how God, this is point number two in your last point. God's provision for depression is not just holy, it's holistic. What I love that we learn about God here in this passage, God actually cares for us in multifaceted ways. And it's crazy. I think it's so good. So let's read this together Um, in verse, let's look at verse five first. I know we're kind of jumping around the story, but I promise you it'll make sense verse 5 it says look it says so he laid under a broom tree suddenly an angel touched Elisha the angel told him get up and eat then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water praise Jesus right so he ate and drank and lay down again angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him he said get up and eat or, uh, or the journey will be too much for you so he got up ate and drank then on the strength from that food he walked look at this 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb the mountain of God. I want to make sure Horeb Why would God why would Elisha go to Horeb? Another word for Another word for Horeb. I don't like that word is Sinai anybody know where Mount Sinai Where God revealed himself to Moses and brought forth the Ten Commandments Elisha saying I'm so depressed and so discouraged God I need a word from you I'm going to the one place where I know you show up and he runs to Mount Sinai Well, he walks for 40 days, 40 nights. But look, here's the first way God provides for us as humans. And this is number one, what we read in verses five through eight. He provides for us physically and relationally. You know, growing up in church, I've, I've always been the guy, just pray through it and everything will get over it, right? Your problem is you don't read the Bible enough. Your problem is you don't pray enough, right? But here, Elisha, what he needed most was not a sermon, which God can give one of those, right? What he needed most is what? He needed to sleep and he needed to eat. Praise Jesus. So, next time you eat, say, This is what God needs for me. You know what I'm saying? Thanksgiving, just praise Jesus for it and just say, I'm depressed right now. Give me some of that turkey. You know what I'm saying? But I love this. God says, Look, sometimes this mo- the most spiritual act we can do is not memorize another verse, is to take another nap. Sometimes what we need is to take care of our body. Some of us are so depressed and discouraged simply because you're not getting the amount of sleep you need at night. Don't you love God knows this because we, I don't know why we separate this, but God created the physical body. God understands what we need physically and God ministers to Elijah by saying what you need right now is some shade and and, uh, some, some food and drink and some sleep. But notice also, it says that the angel touched him. I always thought that was kind of weird, right? Why would the angel, I was trying to think like, how would an angel, anyways, you know, and so angel was touching him. God provides for Elijah relationally. Sometimes we need to thank God this week, Thanksgiving. We need to thank God for some of the relationships God has given us, because some of us aren't as depressed because we have friends and family around us that help us. If you when you isolate yourself, Elisha's running to a cave, right? God is saying, no, you don't need that. You need someone to care for you. You need someone to love you and to just say that I'm here for you. So I love that, that God ministers to the totality of Elisha, and part of that is the physical. Isn't that good? And the relational, but let's keep going. Oh man, verse nine, verse nine, he says, so uh, he entered a cave there and spent the night. But look, suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? When you look at different accounts throughout scripture, sometimes God doesn't give any introduction. He just gives him a word. But I find it interesting in this passage, God goes to Elisha and says, how do you feel about that? God ministers to us psychologically as well, emotionally. Sometimes the most healthiest thing we can do—if you're depressed this morning—you need, and I think especially within the Christian context, you need a Christian brother, if you're a male, Christian sister, if you're a female, to talk things out. God sees supreme value in that. God is saying, "Look, how do you feel about this, Elisha?" God already knows what Elisha feels, right? But God's saying, "I want to minister to you, so I'm going to ask you, how do you feel?" tell me about how you are thinking and what is going through your mind because some of us venting read this book of psalms the book of psalms is full of god using people when those people were venting to god and expressing all of their feelings to god and god in his mercy and grace allowed them to complain and bring them up to god and god actually showed up in a major and mighty way so so how does god provide what is a cure for depression number one is physical two is relational Three and, and four is psychological, psychologically and emotionally, right? He, he, he ministers the totality of a human. But of course, we're here today. Uh, we love the spiritual part as well. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But this is Interesting. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elisha? Elisha still gives literally the same exact answer but it shows look the what was in the the lord was in the soft whisper so god ministers to us also spiritually i think for us when we try to get depressed we're expecting god to do some great miraculous work but what god is saying what's more powerful than this miraculous work is this miraculous word Some of us, we need the word of God because it ministers to our soul. But I'm going to be honest. I was reading this passage. We're going to start wrapping up. I was thinking, okay, God, if I, if I, if I'm me, which I am me, which is crazy, right? I would want God to show up in fire. But where does God show up in fire? God just showed up in fire in first Kings 18. But it's interesting how God says he wasn't there. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't God be in the fire? I was super confused. Does this passage make sense, right? Why would God be in earth? Why wouldn't he be in these things? But it's interesting. It's because Elisha thought he had this perspective. And I think it's why so many of us are so discouraged. We think God only shows up in the crazy miraculous miracles that are visible and that everybody can see. But God is saying, no, where I do most of my work is when I give you a word in the whisper when no one else is around to give you encouragement. This is really good. I, I'm still confused. How is God really honestly saying that these, a whisper is better? Well, first of all, God is more sovereign than we are, so we can't question him. Second of all, if God is in that, of course, the whisper is better than wind, but why wouldn't God put himself in wind? So I was trying to study, trying to bring this together, and I was actually looking at John the Baptist. Any of you guys first ever Baptist? No, he's not. Anyways, but John the Baptizer. And it was actually interesting. I started reading him because you know what John the Baptist was called? the Elisha of the New Testament and I always wondered why why is he called elisha he had the spirit of elisha and i think here's one of the reasons in matthew chapter 11 we don't have to go there elisha's literally living the biggest nightmare i've ever heard i've ever had in my life you you guys ever watch those documentaries where you learn you see people who are in prison but they weren't supposed to be there and they like received the death penalty even though they didn't do it they like later found that they were innocent that is straight up like one of my biggest nightmares in my life like that's like hypochondriac that's going to happen to me one day that's why i like started vlogging it's like no i got camera footage trust me i wasn't there at that time time i didn't do it whatever like that does like i'm not joking you that's terrifying to me right this was john the baptist he was doing all the right things for god doing everything perfect but what was happening john the baptist found himself in prison which by the way so much of us have depression because we think okay god if i'm following you there's no way that my life will be hard but friends (laughs) opposition always comes with obedience amen all right but look he was doubting god John the Baptist, you can start strumming, you can do that thing. Okay. John the Baptist was in prison. He he's doubting God. I love Matthew 11 this great man of God. It's literally very similar to Elisha's story. Elisha's saying, Oh man, how come you're not showing up? John the Baptist saying, I'm in prison. How come you're not showing up? Are you the one? So he sends his messengers and goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, are you the one or is there somebody else? And what he was hinting, he was saying, Look, I'm still in prison. If you were truly Jesus, I would think that I would be freed from these from this prison jail. What literally John the Baptist is saying, Jesus, if you really are Jesus, then where is the fire? You guys ever do that in your life? God, if you really are God, then why aren't you showing up and doing something crazy right now? Like, if you really are the God you say you are, if you say you can take five loaves, two fish, and feed 20,000 people, then God, can you just help me survive this month? And it gets frustrating, right? It gets so frustrating. It's like, God, I... I'm here to serve you. In fact, I'm in this position because I wanted to love you and serve you. And and so John the Baptist is saying, I used to be a big deal, but now I'm going to get beheaded. Jesus, I'm starting to doubt if you really are the true Jesus because of my fabrication. And here's why a lot of us get depressed. In my mind, the true God blows everything up and lets me walk on water and feeds me all the time and loves me and do all these great things. Not in prison. And Elisha's thinking, not the cave. Why would you do this to me, God? This is that moment. You guys feel that? I love this story. It's so real, so raw. So John the Baptist sends his messengers. I love how Jesus answers. I love it. so cool. Read Matthew 11 sometime. Jesus says, he goes back, and it's so cool, because he actually quotes Isaiah and talks about all the things that he's going to do. He says, I, I have come to, to, to heal the sick, to, to bring sight to the blind, and make the deaf hear. And then he stops. It's fascinating because in the rest of Isaiah, he says, and the prisoners will be set free. But Jesus leaves that one stinking thing out. Doesn't he do that to us? God, you do all these things, but the one thing that I need, you're not doing. And here's the message he was communicating to John the Baptist. And with this whisper, here is the message God was communicating to Elisha. Look, I am not coming to bring fire Jesus is telling John the Baptist, I didn't come to bring the fire, but I came to bear the fire. The one thing you want, listen, you don't get it. The the fire, look at first Kings 18. The fire represents judgment. The fire is what blew up the sacrifice. You want an earthquake? Earthquake represents judgment. The wind, that is God's judgment trying to tear things up. But the whisper is something that we can bear. He's saying, look, jesus the whole purpose he came on earth jesus took the fire so that you and i can take the faith isn't that good look jesus took the shaking so that you and i could take the saving i got one more for you You ready jesus took the wind so you and i could take the word Here is the message communicating god is saying look you are depressed because you've put me in a box and you're expecting me to provide in a way that you want provision for you want something that you don't know what it is because guess what fire is judgment i am saving you from that what's more important is not this miraculous spectacular win but what's more important is the spoken word because guess what a word represents relationship and God is saying what's more powerful than me blowing things up and doing something amazing in your life, what's more important is that we know each other and we communicate and then I can minister to you physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. You guys see that? I love that. I think it's so good because here's the message we have as Christians. I don't have to see, I don't have to go to God and say, God, if I'm going to follow you anymore, I need you to light this sucker up i need you to come with an earthquake i need you to take no 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 why because i've already gotten everything i need in christ i don't need to gain anything else i don't need to see some miracle the fact that i believe in god and that i can hear him and he hears me is a miracle so now this the greatest answer for depression is not stop trying to gain but realize i've already gained everything i have so now the step towards out of depression, and it's in verse 15 through 18. God says, look, I'm here for you. i have given you the whisper. But listen, I got something greater for you. Look, the greatest cure to depression is a call. He's saying, look, stop trying to gain. Figure that out. I've taken care of you. But now I'm calling you to give. The Christian message is recognizing we already have everything we need in Christ. We don't need any more crazy things happening. But what we do need is a mission from God, and we need to give and give and give because God is good, and he's so good, and he's already given us everything we need. My God is so good. I don't need fire to come down from heaven. I have the fire in my heart, amen. I have the word of God that is in me, and it's like fire in my bones, Jeremiah says. I'm almost done, but I want us to get this. So he says, no, no, no. Quit trying to gain. Realize you already have everything you have in Christ because most of our depression is not a lack of God's provision. It's a lack of our perspective. Provision's already there, but we just wanted it in the wind instead of in the word. But it's already in the word. And now, verse 15, he says, go to this prophet, go get Elisha, go set this guy's king. I got something way bigger at play than for just this battle to be done now. In your life, God has something bigger. God is not, doing, not finishing it up because he has something greater than you ever think of or imagine. We need to trust him and his provision and recognize God. Your word is better than any other work I could ever see.